Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We have a very special podcast planned for all of you today, May 9th, 2020. We have with us Sheikh Dawood Walid. He is the currently the executive director of the Michigan chapter of CARE. Uh, he is an imam, a speaker, a lecturer, a contributor, and frequently in many different media outlets. Uh, he is an activist. He's an author. He's written recently the book Towards Sacred Activism. He is one of our most well-received and beloved speakers at United Islam Awareness Week here in Canada. And so I'd like to welcome on to the podcast, Sheikh Daoud. How are you, Sheikh? Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, I'm doing well. It's good to see you again, Sheikh. Alhamdulillah, nice to see you all as well. Nismallahu al-afiyah. And we ask Allah to grant you and grant your family and all the listeners right now al-afiyah fi dini wa dunya al-akhirah. Ameen, ameen. And on to you as well, Sheikh. And we, of course, find ourselves in a generational event. This pandemic is unprecedented in our lifetime. How have you and your family coped during this pandemic? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sallam. Well, first of all, let me say uh, thank you for having me on. Jazakumullahu uh, khairan for you and your staff, your team working with you. As far as this, Shahr uh, Ramadan, it's been very unique. Um, so on the one end, we do miss um, socializing and seeing some of our family members instead of just seeing them on, on FaceTime and talking over the phone. And then we also have uh, close uh, friends that live actually in our neighborhood that we would normally go to their home for iftar or have over here before going to the masjid for Isha prayer and tarawih. So we haven't been able to do that social aspect, but actually uh, on, on a personal level, um, because I travel a lot and go to different places to speak and actually um, go also to raise funds, that actually I've had more time for Ibadah this Ramadan than mm. I've probably had since probably like the year, probably like the last 20 years. This is probably the most wow. time I've had for just contemplation, for dhikr, for uh, we've been doing uh, the um, the Tarawih here at, at home. Um, and um, I've also been doing a lot of online durus and lectures and things like that. Actually, more than I normally would uh, if we weren't on sheltering in place or lockdown. So it, it's it's been different. It's been some a few small things that we can say that are different that maybe uh, some might think of as not being positive. But I think overall, alhamdulillah, we're, we're thankful yes. to Allah for this opportunity, and we may. And, you know, we may never never get this opportunity again a day uh, again in our lives to have this type of involuntary uh, khalwa where we can just yes. sit and, 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 and contemplate and be detached from being out in the dunya as much. And you don't realize how much you need that ibadah sometimes, that personal time, because you're always producing and you're expelling all this energy. But to create that energy and that, you know, spiritual contempl contemplation for yourself uh, you, you for, sometimes forget until a situation like this comes along and you're blessed with this, subhanAllah. Um, now, looking at the statistics, United States is the most severely affected country. Yeah. Uh, you're dealing with almost 80,000 deaths. In Michigan, uh, you have uh, uh, over 45,000 cases, 
over 4,000 deaths. So uh, how is the community coping in your area? Obviously, you're not as badly hit as New York, but uh, how is the community? How are, you know, the grocery stores? How, you know, how are your supplies? How is the general atmosphere in your community? So uh, in generally speaking, and actually I think it came out uh, earlier on the week, but Detroit has actually per capita surpassed New York City as far as the most uh, COVID deaths per capita. I mean, New York just has so many more deaths because they have so many more people. But mm. um, it's been hard here. Uh, we've known some people here in our community, the Muslim community, who've, uh, who have who got COVID-19 and, and passed away. A, a Palestinian brother actually down the street from my home uh, was buried uh, about a week ago. So, uh, subhanAllah, may Allah accept him as shaheed. But, um, you know, some of the same things that we've seen in other cities as far as uh, hoarding of, of, of products. Um, I mean, obviously, the, 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 the toilet paper issue is insane. I mean, alhamdulillah for Istinja, right? But, yes, but, for the people, yeah. but for the people who aren't Muslims, you know, people freaked yeah. out hoarding toilet paper. Um, disputes. We actually had an unfortunate incident within the past week where uh, it relates to our governor passed a, uh, an order saying that people who go in stores have to have face masks and a group of people went into a dollar store not wearing their face mask and the security guard told them to put on their face mask so a person pulled a gun and shot and killed the, the security guard just because they told him to put on a face mask. Yes, uh, I so, saw that report. Yeah. And, he had, and he had a family as well, like he five had a family kids. As, yeah. He had a family as well. And then we also had an issue where some of the Trump supporters, they carried their assault rifles and they, they went to our state capitol twice, uh, flying the, the, the Confederate rebel flag. Some of them held nooses like to hang people along with their assault weapons and shotguns and even uh even a couple of them even had nazi signs um mm. so we, we've had that issue here too of some people um using the the governor's order of sheltering in place as a far right wing um mobilization effort to try mm. to uh, intimidate people here at least in my state yeah i you know a, a pandemic like this, I feel, magnifies existing deficiencies, defects, inequalities within a system. And if we are looking at some of the stat statistics that are being reported uh, from all over your country, including Michigan, the Carolinas, Illinois, Louisiana, New Jersey, New York, Wisconsin, uh, they report that black people are dying at a far greater rate than uh other races, okay, oh, especially if you compare it to white people. And of course, there are um, probably uh, what you're seeing in Michigan, because you have such a large black population, is again a manifestation of that. Now, um, what you mentioned that per capita that you are getting more deaths, is this something that is because of this pandemic? Or is this because this is something that is in terms of like the inequality in treating uh, black people, is this uh, something that is systemic and the pandemic is only uh, sought to amplify that? Okay, that's, that's a very good question. I think there's two shades to it. And um, so Detroit, Michigan in particular is America's 
blackest city. So it's 80% black. Um, the entire state of Michigan is only 12% black, yet 77% of the deaths in the state of Michigan have been black people. And it disproportionately affected Detroit. So there's two things. There is, uh, and and you might say both, one of them, you could say systemic, and I'll use another term of legacy. So the systemic issue is that it is true that the access to healthcare for people in Detroit uh, is at a much lower level and quality than people in suburbs. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, now, the other thing is, is that, and just being frank with you, and, you know, Allah Azawajal tells us in the Quran, Kulu Qawlan Sadida, that we have to speak a straight word and direct word, that a lot of people who are in Detroit who actually did not believe media, um, reports and actually did not believe what the government said and for reason because in the black community there in in, in detroit uh in particular but there's a natural distrust for what the government says and what edicts and orders they put out why because there's been so much lying and government manipulation that it's 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 hard for the people to readily believe all of what the government says regarding uh, certain things because it's seen as a means of deception or as a means of, of controlling people, right? So that's in that's in the backdrop of why many people in Detroit proper are like, you know what? Um, uh, I don't believe this or people start buying into certain conspiracy theories, but the reality yes. is there have been certain conspiracies that have been instituted uh, amongst uh, upon African Americans, right? So, no doubt. No it, so, doubt. so people say conspiracy theories, but uh, some conspiracies aren't just far fetched; they're real. So, they're this realities. is why people. The reality is, this is why many people just distrusted uh, what was said initially, and I think that this led to um, perhaps a a spreading in certain uh, highly densely populated areas of African Americans. You know, I, I believe the Muslim community has experienced in general, has has uh, has uh, tasted this before, because when you look at uh, Muslims, uh, the community in general, we are also, I would say, predisposed to believing conspiracy, conspiracies in general. Some of them may be uh, real. Some of them, uh, you know, just might be far fetched, baseless, because we've been the victim of that uh, for a long time. You know, like w when you would see, I remember growing up. You would see how Muslims are characterized in the media. We're like, we're not like this, you know. So you have this inherent distrust because of these official government institutions, because of that. And I think also one thing uh, for us as uh, as a Muslim community, generally speaking, uh, historically, obviously, we see that there has been uh, a uh, a evolution of of how they have been oppressed over the years, right? Before it was open, right? So with with slavery and all of these other things, it was very open. Then you have these Jim Crow laws where it starts now becoming more subversive. You know what I mean? It's there, but they're trying to rebrand it and repackage it, right? And so that distrust, so they see that, hey, these are all kind of fake attempts. So you, you have this distrust of these institutions. And I feel that with many of uh, Muslims who've immigrated here, a uh, lot of the corruption is open, so they know yeah. that it happens. You understand what I'm saying? So then when they come here, they're like, something doesn't smell right. We've, we've tasted this before. 
We've tasted this corruption before. And so now, like, because we're aware of this and we understand this dynamic, how does the community now uh, help themselves during this process? Because no doubt, because you're going to get right now, for example, in America, you're getting conflicting reports about what to do, what not to do. Right. And there's so many uh, experts. We know generally now, yes, we, we should be socially distancing and what, but there's still a fair amount of confusion. There's a fair amount of conspiracy theories out there. So what would your advice be of how should a Muslim based armed with our principles deal in this type of chaos? Well, I think a lot of it just goes back to istiqama about being upright and having integrity. And when the people uh, trust uh, certain people, and they know people of having good character and being upright, then these are the people that can carry the message to the grassroots. It's not the media, it's not the politicians, mm. it's people in the grassroots that have to reach out to the broader community. And I'll give you a, a prime example right now, is that the whole issue of vaccines. Many people in the community right now are saying, if they come up with a vaccine, I'm not going to take the vaccine. And, mm. and especially in the African-American community, including African-American Muslims, right? And why? Because I'll give you two quick examples historically. One is that there was something in America that took place in the 20th century called the Tuskegee Experiment. The Tuskegee Experiment was the federal government went into an area in Alabama, intentionally injected syphilis into African-American men, and then used them as a case study and followed them for decades to see how syphilis affected the human body, right? And our government, American government, just apologized for that not too long ago, but most of the people ended up dying and passing on this disease to, uh, to, to their wives and things like that, right? So this is one thing. The second thing is that in the black community, there's a much higher level of autism than the rest of the society. And this has been directly linked back to a specific vaccine that was given early on and tested out to low income people, to black people, that then caused uh, a higher rate of autism, right? Amongst black kids from people from a certain economic level. So mm. um, people bring up these examples to say, well, if they come out with a coronavirus, a COVID-19 vaccine, uh, I'm not gonna take that. Let white people take that first. Like, I'm not gonna take that yeah. stuff. Or, yes. or, 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 yeah. or, 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 or like, what does, what scan the game does Bill Gates have of trying to like put out a COVID-19 vaccine and put it in Africa, like other stuff, right? So people are like, people are very weary and they have they have some justification of being weary, right? So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's up to us to, on the one hand, not, dis not dismiss those real concerns and anxieties that have real historical precedence but at the same time to try to talk people through the process in terms of, you know, the best practices of keeping themselves and their family and the community at large uh, healthy. I, I completely uh, can appreciate that. Uh, there was a news report, uh, uh, I believe it was in Al Jazeera, and this was uh, a, a few months ago, maybe it could have even been six months ago, but they were talking about how uh, the uh, the 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 communities in Pakistan were inherently very very distrustful of yes. the polio vaccine. Yes. Because there was actually intelligence agencies using that as a guise to spy and you know uh, you know go hunting for uh, terrorists so to speak. But then now you've made 
you've maybe caused a huge amount of collateral damage because of this mistrust, because of using this tactic to get this one person, maybe you put, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people's lives at risk, in danger, you know. Right. And there's been a resurgence, uh, they said, of, uh, of polio and some of these diseases that they felt that they no longer had to deal with. There's been a resurgence of that because of people's inherent distrust of that. So I really appreciate what you said in, in terms of having grassroots people that we can trust that we can do that. Do you find the community has that right now? Do we have grassroots people that we can trust and we can get behind? Yeah, we have uh, some grassroots people and some voices that are trustworthy. I mean, obviously there's not gonna be 100% buying from everything, but I think that the masses of the people um, in the African-American community in general, but Muslims too, ir irrespective of whether they're black or South Asian or Arab or, or from the Balkans, there are legitimate voices. And one good thing about the state of Michigan in particular, as far as my area, we have a very organized uh, Imams Council. I'm one of the members on the Imams Council and we have regular meetings, well now a Zoom call. So we've gotten on one accord and putting out messages to the different uh, Jama'at and the different uh, Masajid to try to um, to put out, you know, messages and telling people to stay patient and follow these hygiene protocols and other things like that. So, alhamdulillah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, one other news report I wanted to discuss with you, uh, Sheikh, is the uh, case with uh, Ahmad uh, Arbery. Yeah. So, this has recently gotten a lot of attraction and attention. It occurred in February, though, so we're just getting more attention now because of a video that was leaked. For those of you who are not familiar, uh, this was a young man who was just going out for a jog in Georgia and uh, two men, a father and son, Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, chased him down, gunned him down. Uh, the video was actually recorded by one of the men chasing him. So uh, there was a, a second vehicle and in that car was William Bryan and he was recording that vi uh, the video. And this video only leaked recently. What happened was that apparently these people were boasting about this shooting, this killing online. Uh, they were sharing this video on social media and somebody leaked it. And so now after this video got leaked, it got more attention because it wasn't because uh, they were following up in terms of the justice of the situation, but it was the video that caused them to now be forced to look at the situation with some type of semblance of justice. And so this is, uh, again, when you see the video, I've seen the video, uh, Sheikh, I don't know if you've seen it. I want to get yeah, your comments it. soon. It's brutal. It's brutal. COVID-19, you can see, okay, it's indiscriminate. It's indiscriminate. And you accept it in a sense that there's like, uh, you don't know, it's not like it's discriminating uh, somebody based on their race or their religion or anything. It's out there. Everyone has to deal with it. But something like this, you know, subhanAllah, it's like that ayah in the Quran, that it's that evil that your own hand puts forth. So we get this evil result by an evil that our own hands put forth that is easily avoidable. There was, There's no reason to chase somebody down and gun them down and to be that brutal, especially with one of them being a lawman. He was an investigator for the district attorney for over 30 years. So, uh, Sheikh, like, uh, you obviously live, this is 
this is your community. This is uh, America is your country. How do you process something like this? What are your thoughts on on this case? Well, let me say that this is a quite American phenomenon and this is nothing new. This is just something that got leaked to the public and things like this have always taken place in America. And I heard about these things when I was a kid and my dad heard about these things when he was a kid or knew it happened to someone when he was a kid and my grandfather and my great grandfather. And as you mentioned that the video was leaked and that's the only reason why these uh, two guys are even locked up right now because the district attorney and the law enforcement knew knew about it and they were going to do anything about it. It's only after it went viral and there began to be some some public pressure. So just imagine how many people have been shot that there was no video or that this guy who was an investigator working with the DA, how many cases did he work on before or 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 young black men or Latino men or women who were shot or just mysteriously came up dead and they didn't uh, investigate it or ruled it justifiable homicide or or suicide. We don't even know how how many, right? But we do know this is a very, um, it, it's, it's sad, but it's not actually very surprising. And, you know, you're wearing a, a Malcolm X hat right now. And Malcolm X famously said 55 years ago, uh, before his, his martyrdom uh, in February, 55 years ago, he said that, uh, people talk about down south, but everywhere south of Canada is the south in America, meaning mm-hmm. something like this would, could easily happen in the state of Michigan, which borders Canada. So it's not something that's simply just down in Georgia. This is a, an, an American phenomenon. Uh, these, these people were civilians, but police do it all the time. Uh, and it, it, this one just got happened to be called on tape. And I would also say that it's not exactly a shoe-in that these two guys would be convicted because Georgia is what's called a stand your ground uh, state. So if these guys can convince a jury, especially if it's an all white jury, that they felt scared and that uh, he didn't stand still because this is what the the defense is, that he moved and they felt threatened so they shot him, that Mm -hmm. if if they can sell that to a jury, then these two guys will 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 get let go just like george zimmerman got let go for killing trayvon martin so it it seems like the the law is codified to allow for legal lynching yeah no you're you're right and when people also say the system is broken dr said i say this the system in america is not broken is actually operating exactly how it was designed to operate the system's not broken because this has happened for decades upon decades in America. And very rarely, it's actually an anomaly that when a, a white man kills a black man, that the bl- that the white man ever goes uh, to prison and gets convicted of, of murder. It, that's the anomaly. The overwhelming majority, so actually hist- the curve of American history or American history is actually on these two murderers side of them getting let go. And I can't like stress that enough to the, the viewers in Canada. You, we, you, you should not assume that just because these guys were caught on film 
that they're going to do real jail time. As a matter of fact, they could get acquitted and sue the state for false prosecution. Mm. And I and I believe the the way as you mentioned uh, this inherent corruption, like the first uh, district attorney that took on the case knew knew him, and so he had to recuse himself. The second district attorney, uh, he he gave his opinion on the case, saying that I believe it's self defense. It was later found out that his son knew the son, so you knew the the younger McMichael, and uh, so then he had to. Re- and then the third one who took on the case said uh, initially. We can't try this case until June where we can get a grand jury together. And because of COVID, we can't do that right now. Yeah. And so until this became started be getting a lot of traction, the video got out there. I think Sean King tweeted about this. Uh, they discussed it on the Breakfast Club. And so they generated all this intention. And a person he mentioned, there was a tweet that somebody shared that said that, remember, that uh, they made this re- uh, arrest not because they saw the tape. They made this arrest because we saw the tape. And right. so because there was enough attention being given, then they went and made this arrest. But who knows? It could just be uh, a dog and pony show. I mean, we've seen this before so many times. I mean, um, when the New York Police Department choked and killed Eric Gardner, that was on video and that went viral. I mean, there's so many of these cases, right, uh, where... Uh, the police got acquitted um, when the guy in Minnesota who had the gun license and he told him, I have my gun. It's right there. And they, and they pulled and they killed him. And then that nothing happened to that cop. Right. That was like dismissed. And you have so many cases like this from civilians as well as cops where people get let go. And it's 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 an unfortunate reality of living in in the United States of America, especially if you're an African-American. In your lifetime, have you have you seen it get better or worse? How would you describe it? I see it as the same. I just think that more people believe us now because of smartphones. But the same stuff was going on when I was a teenager and then in the early 1990s, um, you know, when when the Rodney King, which uh, beat down, which was the first video they got national attention as far as a police brutality case like that. um, Rodney King cases like that were going on on everywhere. They were going on in in my city. I knew a, a, a guy who was a teenager that that reached for his registration uh, during a road stop and got shot and, and killed by the police of the town that I used to live in. So, like, we we all know mm-hmm. about these things. And, and those police uh, got, a, got their case got dismissed or they didn't, in fact, they didn't even get charged, right? So yeah. much less dismissed. So it, it, it's, it's just the only thing that's changed is that now some of these are being recorded. That's all that's changed. Mm-hmm. Well, why is it that it has to be recorded? Like, we have... This Me Too movement that says believe women. Hmm. Why don't we believe black people? What you know? Why why can't we believe the injustices that they can testify that they're experiencing? Um, again, it goes back to the founding of this country and the system in which this country was established upon. And you know, we live in a country where. Black people were dehumanized, and a large percentage of them being Muslims, by the way. And this is why also in my political education to certain congregations, I say that 
the issue of Islamophobia in America is older than the country itself, right? So I also mentioned that uh, too as well. But you have a country where it is written in the constitution that black people constitute three-fifths of a person, three-fifths of a human being. And that's still in the American constitution. It was only an amendment to that constitution, right? So when the framers of this country wrote the early uh, constitution and they wrote about black people as being in law, like chattel, like a, uh, a cow or a horse, mm-hmm. uh, then there's a long legacy uh, of this. And it is institutionalized in the United States of America, which has dehumanized uh, black people. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's it's a very it's 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 a very deep thing, and um, it's not just a thing of passing laws and getting more fair judges because um, bigotry and racism cannot be legislated away. Like this is a disease of the heart, and yes. and, and, and 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 hearts disease hearts have to be treated. And then there has to be like a cultural shift. So mm. we have all types of laws in the books, anti-lynching laws. We've had like mm. civil rights laws after Malcolm X was martyred and Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1964 Civil Rights Act, 1965 Voting Rights Act. And then you have the Immigration Act of 1965, which allowed Muslims to be able to come to immigrate from from Africa and South Asia. And you have all these laws, right, and affirmative action, but at the end of the day, you still see that certain people, that those laws were passed to help remedy their problems. It didn't really fix much in the past, uh, in the past 50, uh, 45, 50 years. Didn't really, uh, didn't really change, mm. not a lot fundamentally. So do you feel the, these laws are more of a superficial attempt? Uh, maybe similar in the same vein as, you know, people will point to celebrities. Oh, look at these b- basketball players and these singers and look at Oprah Winfrey and you can make it. Look, if you just apply yourself and try and play by the rules, you can make it. And they point to these people uh, to say that it is look at how much uh, the community has uh, progressed from slavery. Like, do you feel that these are all just superficial tokenship well some things have improved and i think some uh but but for the masses of black people things and native americans too or what we call first nations as well the masses of first nation people and african-american people still live with the same level of disparities uh compared to the white population as in the 1960s right things have not fundamentally changed a whole lot uh some things have gotten better some things have gotten worse actually uh, but uh, like mass incarceration actually has gotten worse now than it was back like uh, 50 years ago, for instance. But mm-hmm. what I would what I would say is that I think that there were some people who are actually well-meaning in helping to pass some of these laws. And they talk about, well, we need to end these things. But at the same time, this is a type of rhetoric that they only believe in until it causes them a little bit of discomfort. Right. Mm. And then they won't go to push for the real systemic change because they don't want to experience any discomfort or they don't want to lose anything. Because in order for there to be uh, societal justice, then and we know this from from the Sharia perspective, that the term Adala or Adil comes from 
things being in their proper places as they should be, right? So if there is a major disproportion here, then there had, in order there to be societal justice, then there has to be some sort of leveling of the field. So people can say, uh, and this includes the so-called liberals, by the way, uh, mm -hmm. they can talk about equality and justice and all these sorts of things, but as long as it doesn't affect their bottom line, as long as it doesn't affect mm -hmm. their their uh, upward mobility. But when it starts getting to that, then they really don't want equality, right? Mm. So. Yeah, no, I, 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 I believe Malcolm X also had a similar quote describing the liberal as the, as the fox, you know, yes. and, uh, you know, the, uh, the conservative as the wolf. I, do you feel, uh, I'll give you some of my thoughts and I would like your comment on this. I feel that, um, as you mentioned, you, you you talked about the uh, the black population and you talked about the indigenous population in Canada. Black people are treated. There is a this uh, definitely a disparity. They are they aren't treated equally. There was a report in the summertime, actually, I believe on CBC that showed that they're arrested far more frequently than than other people and they're stopped far more frequently. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, with the indigenous population here, I'll, I'll give you the the Canadian. Uh, situation and then I'll, I'll tell you what I feel uh, is similar in uh, America. In Canada, I would say the people who get the shortest end of the stick, the people who are stereotyped the most are the indigenous population. I've seen that growing up. The whole time growing up, I saw this with uh, the indigenous population. I remember in high school, uh, a friend of mine saying that you know, I believe all indigenous people are like such and such way, like in a very disparaging way. He's putting them down. He said, except for one guy that and he was like an actor. So like this guy who was on some kind of uh, CBC TV show. I said, man, how many indigenous people do you know to make that statement? He's and it was just based on the his his worldview, you know. And I feel like the way that they're treated, there's a lot of videos too that show that they go to a store and they're treated in a certain way. They have a lot of ills they're dealing with for sure. It's not, I would say, in your face as much as in the U.S. because a lot of them do live on reservations. But there's like a special racism relegated for indigenous people. There's a special racism that's relegated for uh, African Americans in the United States. I believe... That has to do because of the inception of both of these countries. When uh, they colonized Canada, the the people that uh, it was colonized on the backs of that they exploited was indigenous populations in both countries. Mm -hmm. But especially in America, it was the African-American population because slaves built that country. And... Uh, there is like this almost like this inherent threat that because there's this historical that we use violence on them to colonize. It's almost like, you know, if you punch someone, you put up your your dukes and you're ready to it's like I'm, I'm expecting something back and I'm going to maybe hit them back again. Like I'm so scared because I know I've, I've already hit them. And so you're almost expecting it back. So it's almost like when you've associated because everybody, I believe, to some level is prejudiced like you're pre like you know people have different prejudices and some things are, are are just mundane like you know italian people will say yeah yeah we we, we talk with our hands or you know uh, arab people will say hey we you know arab people are very very hospitable so a lot of people have like these stereotypes about themselves or others which can be very very mundane what ends up becoming dangerous is when i believe 
you associate that stereotype with some type of violence. And that's why, for example, my own experience, I've been born and raised here. I did not experience Islamophobia uh, growing up to the extent that I do now. I did not experience Islamophobia to that ex- to that extent. Yes, yeah. it was it was somewhat racism uh, and whatnot, but like this this targeting of Muslims, I've not experienced that, and I believe that's because of you know the Gulf Wars, you know all these uh, excursions, Afghanistan, all this. Now you can associate these people with some type of violence, even though you were the perpetrators. You know, it's not like these. People are 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 on mass coming to try to uh, take you over, right? So I believe it has to do with that inception or being able to strongly associate the community that you're stereotyping with with violence, even though they weren't maybe per, per, like perpetrators of that violence. But you're expecting that violence because of that, you know, that first meeting that you have with that person, you know, like. That that first impression is almost like a lasting uh, impression. What are your what are your thoughts on that? These are just my you know some of my personal reflections and uh, you know looking at like our situation here in Canada and uh, United States and also how Islamophobia here in North America has also ramped up in the past uh, two decades, especially. Well, I think that the dehumanization is actually. Uh, very intentional that's done to certain populations uh, here in the United States of America. And I would say in the West in general, if we're talking about Australia, we're talking about New Zealand, uh, it was done done very uh, deliberately and it was done to uphold a a, a particular type of order, right? And then that uh, scheme or that conspiracy, we can use that that term as well, uh, began to to trickle down to, uh, to, to the common person, right? So we have uh, in, in, in our tradition, we have Jahl uh, Basit, right? Which is just general ignorance. So someone is ignorant, right? But they don't know any better, right? And mm. uh, But they don't hold any malice. This is a type of person that can be uh, appealed to on a one-on-one level. But then we have engineered ignorance that becomes cal- compounded, uh, which is Jahl uh, Murakab, uh, which then is like enforced and instilled where actually the people who are on top actually know better, but they have an agenda. Kind of like how Abu Jahl did with the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He knew he was a Sadiq. He knew he was Al-Amin. He knew he had um, uh, impeccable character, but because of a certain social order, he wanted to uphold that he had compounded Jahl. And I believe this is really like at part of the the roots, if we're talking about how black people are brutalized and this white fear that white people have this fear of black people in general, where really there's no real history in America of black people going around just going into white neighborhoods or white areas and just killing white people. Actually, it's been the opposite. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, besides Nat Turner's slave rebellion, in which uh, enslaved Africans were trying to run off the plantation. Like we've never gone and taken retribution for white people killing us. No, and as a matter of fact, it's been the opposite. It's been actually quite peaceful, right? And and, and the same thing with the dehumanization of Muslims. Uh, if we look back at going back to what Samuel Huntington wrote uh, about the class of civilizations, he wrote that the fall of the Soviet Union, that America and the West needed a new 
boogeyman because in order mm. to stay in power in order to justify these military uh, uh, budgets and all these sorts of things that there has to be this perceived s- sort of uh, external threat or intrinsic threat to the American way of life for the Western way of life. And he wrote and predicted, he wrote about this and you can see it played out that, oh, and he said that the new boogeyman after the Soviet Union fell was going to be the Muslim world. And then also, he also mentioned China. So um, there are real conspiracies. And then you have the the Hollywood that then comes and reinforces these things. Uh, the dehumanization of black people uh, in, in Hollywood historically, but then you have the dehumanization of Muslims, uh, be they Arab, South Asian or black. Uh, and then you have the news media that then comes along with it. And they just, it's just, the jahil just keeps compounded and compounded, which then uh, people get dehumanized. And that's really what happened uh, in the United States of America. Um, even before uh, 9-11, it really started in America in 1979 with the Iranian revolution. And then mm. things started getting worse after the first World Trade Center bombing. And then they came to a crescendo um, at 9-11 and then start tapering off. And then Daesh popped up, mm. by the way, using all um, uh, American trucks and American weapons. And John McCain went to Syria and took pictures mm. with Jabhat al-Nusra and all these sorts of things, right? But, mm. Mm. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, you, you understand the you understand But, but there's also, it. as you're mentioning that, uh, Sheikh, there was a reprieve. Uh, during the first Afghan war, yeah, because they were actually helping, they were allowing open fundraisers, yeah, uh, for the mujahideen. They were going in, you know, places like California, all over the, uh, America, and allowing those fundraisers to occur. Right so there was Michigan. a reprieve. Yeah, yeah. So there was there there was a reprieve for a period of time. Even they would they were allowing at times even in Canada to raise money for Hamas. So they 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 were good. While they were serving their agenda for a period right. of time, right, there was a, that repeat even in the '90s, and uh, and maybe you've experienced this too. I think a lot of the uh, veterans and the Dawa game, they also mentioned that generally speaking, in the '90s, there was like an ability to give a lot of Dawa. You like there was like this almost like um, a lot of sincere duat giving a lot of and being able to be active and and whatnot. Because also you had this generation maybe of people who had parents that were immigrants and now they speak the language as well and whatnot too. So I think maybe that aided to that, but uh, there was a reprieve when it served a certain uh, perhaps political agenda. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's, and that relates to the Soviet union and those people being the, the number one considered existential threat. And that was then the Muslims ended up replacing that basically after the fall of the Soviet Union, but going back to the Dawa, you're talking about the 90s. I remember like as a young guy in in, in, in my 20s, but in downtown Detroit, and there like be a different festival every weekend. We used to hit the festivals every weekend with mm. the Dawa. We would like stand somewhere, like we'd take turns giving speeches. Uh, mm. we, we we had the, um, uh, we had the, the flyers, uh, Jesus in the Slam, uh, mm. What does Islam say about all these different types of subjects, right? What does Islam say about the end of time? And we were passing out the flyers, uh, getting into discussions, and it was a vibrant time. And then 9-11 mm. came, 
and it's like the the dawa uh the dawa fizzled for a while because we couldn't mm. go out there the same way i mean even to the point of trying to go out and give the dawa and law enforcement coming and questioning you and harassing you mm. and things like that or people being like overtly hostile uh, towards the Dawah, they see you wearing a kufi or a thobe, mm. then there's a, a lot of hostility. But yeah, I remember the, like, 1998, 99, the Dawah was lit here in Detroit. Yeah. It was, it, yeah. The Dawah was lit. Yeah, no, no, 100%. Uh, and, and, like, and many of the uh, du'a that I know who are very, very active, uh, because that was around the time when I started getting uh, into the Dawah, too, was the late 90s, so I was able to... You know, like uh, myself being a uh, organizer rather than just a participant. So, you know, uh, mid 90s, more of a participant. But then now you become an organizer, you get to know the scene a little bit better. And I felt it was much, much stronger than we see today. But I also feel that worse than 9 11, this whole Daesh situation had a worse effect on the Dawah. Because even after 9 11, there was like, this uh, call for people, hey, okay, talk to us about Islam. And so you still had people, uh, there was generally a lot of sympathy. Because remember, people protested against the Iraq war. Majority of people were against the Iraq war. So there was a lot of people still who were sympathetic to what the Muslims had endured. But then Daesh bit just made them look like uh, uh, not human. They made Muslims like, they, they, they probably did the best marketing to dehumanize Muslims, definitely. And uh, Daesh was was uh, was a very low port for the Dawah when they were rising up at their peak. And um, really, ironically speaking, what has helped open the space for us for the Dawah back in America is when Trump ran for office and when Trump got elected, that actually helped open back up the Dawah for us because. Uh, Trump just came off to be so repugnant and so despicable that mm. people who were uh, kind of hostile to the Muslims felt a little sympathy for us because of how mm. nonsensical and how crazy he was talking about Muslims, right? Mm. So, and then you had white supremacists like David Duke and KKK people and white nationalists, um, uh, Richard Spencer and these people vouching and endorsing Donald Trump. So actually, ironically, Trump has helped us out and opened up the space for the Dawah again in comparison mm. to when Daesh came up uh, and, and, and Boko Haram too, by the way. When Boko Haram did those things and took those girls that were hostage, mm. oh, it, it, was, it was horrible uh, as far as the uh, amount of negative media and some of the things that were being said, especially to Muhajibat in, in, in our area in particular. Mm. Yeah, it's it's one of those situations with uh, Trump, I believe, when it's overt, when racism is overt, it's really easy to call out. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I believe it's more dangerous when you have somebody who's really slick with their racism and they have the same agenda, but they come at you with this smile and nice words and even they may preach togetherness. But their real actions or they have significant effort to uh, undermine people or, or harm people. I've experienced that myself personally, uh, but I also see that as, um, you know, like when you look at a lot of the policies that Trump has, it's really an extension of Bush and Obama era policies. 
Mm. You know what I mean? And uh, it's just uh, it's easier to hate him because he's very open. Like this guy doesn't have a filter, right? These other guys, you know, seem to listen to their uh, entourage a little bit more and had a few filters to to go through. But he just says stuff. And so in a sense, you kind of have this curtain peeled back and you see, hey, this is what's going on. You know, this is what the Wizard of Oz looks like, you know. Um, what, what what are your thoughts on that in terms of like this overt and, and, and this covert racism that sometimes I feel is more destructive because people think, hey, everything's OK, you know. Well, uh, and no doubt about it that there are a lot of racist policies under the last uh, two previous um, administrations, including the Obama administration. Matter of fact, Obama was the drone meister. Like he 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 drone killed more Muslim civilians than Trump has. Right. Mm-hmm. Same thing with rounding up uh, immigrants. Uh, Obama, his first three years, round has rounded up more immigrants and deported and split more families than Trump. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the, the rhetoric, just Obama is just uh, uh, he's more um, polished, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, what what the danger of Trump is this is that the racism has already been has always been there, but he has. By his rhetoric, he has openly emboldened people that normally would at least try to arrest or keep their racism on the down low or under the covers. Now you have people who are flat out um, showing their hostility and showing their anger. And this is why when Trump first got elected, we had a spike in hate crimes in the United States of America that had been unprecedented since the 1960s. Why? When you have a when you have a president that goes on national TV and when the the Nazis and the Klan go and protest at the University of Virginia, and then he says there's good people on both sides, and the guy goes mm-hmm. and runs over a young mm-hmm. white girl who's protesting against anti-black racism, when he goes and says that there's good people on both sides, this just emboldens um these white supremacists to go out and be even more public and be more brazen. And this is even what they've said, right? And and Richard Spencer said this, right? And and the the Proud Boys and these other groups, right? So that's the danger in Trump really that I see. And I believe that if he loses this election and Americans have become more armed than they have ever before, but it's a specific type of American that has been getting these guns, I believe that these people are going to go out on mass shooting sprees and that we haven't seen in this country in probably since the 1920s. Mm. You know, you know, uh, Sheikh, do you feel that when people are more open, say like you have, you say you have somebody who has a lot of racist ideas in their mind, what do you think is more dangerous that they just keep that in there or they're able to speak openly about it and the reason why i say this is like as i mentioned i've experienced a lot of this covert racism before where you're like am i crazy or is this is something really off like i'll give you an example there, there was this um this person i know very very well he's also a health professional and he w- was on a plane i think he was flying up from the u.s and there was a, a few guys from arkansas that uh, were flying with him and they were, uh, I guess, coming up to Canada for hunting. And one of them was a judge. So he was um, uh, he was from the same uh, city from uh, uh, Bill Clinton, actually. 
So uh, what is that? Little Rock? Is that? Uh, yeah, Little Rock, yeah, Arkansas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he was, he was, and he was sitting beside him. And so, you know, he had a little bit to drink, so he was a little bit open with him. And he said to him, he revealed to him that he's a judge. And he said that, you know, anytime I have a black person in front of me, mm-hmm. it's like I give them like, like I give them the third degree. I give them like the absolute, every single time I have something, one of them in front of me. Like he was really like, at the, he just, you know, opened up a little bit. But normally speaking, this guy probably keeps it inside his heart and he's causing all this damage. And because he's not open with it, you can't necessarily call him out. Maybe he's just following the letter of the law. You know what I mean? But he's doing it obviously disproportionately on black people. But do you find that this openness also could be a window for us? Because otherwise they may be your neighbor. You may, they may be your coworker, but it's so hidden. You can't confront it. You know, people become really good at just hiding what they truly feel. And then you can't talk about it in the open. You know what I mean? So do you think there is with this Trump, even though definitely it's emboldened people. But I feel at the same time, maybe it's like you can be more authentic. People can be, okay, this is what I really feel. Okay, let's talk about this then. Because I never knew you felt that way. I think that the overt bigot is better than the polite one only on the condition that the the people or the community actually have the will and their courage to actually stand up for themselves and to defend themselves right that's that's the caveat so like when malcolm x said this when malcolm x said this there's a context so he said that and you mentioned before you have the conservative is like the wolf and then you have the liberal that's like the fox and the wolf howls, right? So if you have a chicken coop, you're, it's easier to protect your chicken coop from the mm-hmm. wolf than from the fox because the fox is sly and they'll sneak in while your back is turned to eat your chickens and you won't hear them, right? But this is upon the condition that you're actually not scared to protect your chicken coop because you can't allow a fox to protect your chicken coop. And see, part of the problem of Muslims in America is that we think that if we just do some gimmicks like oh yeah we're going to show how many how many face masks we gave to the to the people for covid-19 mm-hmm. we're going to put out a press release and show how many free lunches we gave the doctors we're going to go and just we're, we're you know we're just going to show how people how we're just american just like them and then we and then we actually think that when the, the drama comes that those people are going to come and actually like protect us. Like that's mm-hmm. the problem with the Muslims. It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's profound naivety and mm-hmm. thinking that uh, by um, going to PR gimmicks and stunts, that's going to mm-hmm. protect us. Now, if we're going to do good, we should do this with ikhlas for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal, but not doing it trying to people please, right? Or thinking uh, that so-called, believe- so-called white liberals are going to come to our yeah. defense if 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 these conservatives or these far right people come with guns and come into our neighbors to kill us, those white liberals aren't going to come and get guns to come and protect the Bangladeshis and and the and the and the uh, and, and the Algerians and the and the Muslims that come from Senegal. They're not going to come and protect us. No way. You forget yeah. that. Yeah. We need we need to talk about this tokenism. I believe I see that with this. Uh, uh, a then uh, issue here in Canada. You've mentioned that, alhamdulillah, that since 
what was it, 1979, 1980, uh, they've been Troy. giving the adhan on the loudspeakers yeah. in Michigan at Maghrib time. Here, they started doing that. All five prayers. All five oh, prayers. Oh, oh, mashallah, all oh, five yeah. prayers. Every, we're getting so excited for one. <laughs> we're getting so excited for Maghrib. You know, we're celebrating. You know, we're making like a, a preemptive Eid celebration. So um, here, everyone is so happy, so excited. Okay, they're giving adhan. Now you're having these Islamophobes coming out of the woodwork. Oh, Sharia law. This is like giving me post-traumatic stress disorder and all these different things. But, uh, you know, I, I remember I was speaking to uh, to somebody about this before. I said, that's fine. You give the adhan. Beautiful. Alhamdulillah. This is a great uh, maybe motivational thing for Muslims. But now are you going to sit on your hands and not give dawah? Because now who's going to take the narrative? The Islamophobes, they're going to start taking the narrative. You've opened the conversation. People are going to talk about it. You know, you know what I mean? But the real dawah to confront these stereotypes, the real dawah to actually be in the long game to fight injustice, to change policy, uh, to correct the deficiencies in institutions, that's that takes time. That takes effort. That takes patience. That takes sometimes a lot of losses before you can rack up a win. And so I really uh, appreciate what you said that there's a lot of this tokenism that we get too happy about. It's like with a lot of these token gestures, uh, Sheikh, I believe that some of the Muslims get too happy and some of the non-Muslims become too mad. How is it really changing your life? Not really. You know what I mean? So you get the, some of the Muslims get way too happy as if they've just won the Battle of Badr. And then you have others that just get so mad as if it's the apocalypse. Well, there's a saying, Man So whoever seeks Izzah, whoever seeks dignity and other than Allah, they're going to be humiliated, right? And I, and I think part of the problem is, is there we go again, is that we as Muslims, number one, uh, we shouldn't expect people to just go along with everything that we want because that's not the way that the disbelievers dealt with the with the MBR, number one. And at the same time, um, if we think that we're just going to be going around people pleasing or doing this and doing that and think that we're going to get people's respect, what people respect is, and this is in the English language, you don't ask for respect, you command respect mm -hmm. so we have to stand up and have a backbone and just assert ourselves of course with proper adab and proper manners but we shouldn't be going around asking permission for anyone for people to accept us we are respectful and we do what we do under the color of the law of us living in the lands that we live in but if they don't like if some people are like we're doing so what mm. yeah so what so yeah. what yeah. so what yeah. i don't like all what you do i i don't like you as a man marrying another man so what you know, yeah. <laughs> and then you'll have like, you know, people, people coming like with a, a politician coming in with a kufi yeah. and people getting so happy. But maybe that politician's policies are harming Muslims. You know, so it's like, oh, he came to the masjid. I'm going to vote for him. He wore a kufi. You, this you is, know what I mean? This is Obama. Obama held White House iftars. So, so this shows you how, how, um, and this is a lack of izza. Come on to this word izza, right? Is that. While Gaza is being bombed, it was like it was like the year, the year or the year before the last year of Obama's administration. Gaza is being bombed by the Israeli occupational forces. Mm. 
So while Gaza is being bombed by the Israeli occupational forces, it's Ramadan. So mm. Obama invites the Muslims to Iftar, and then the Israeli ambassador is invited. And then the first words Obama is talk, is talk, talking about is that we you know we all agree Israel has a right to defend itself. And then now those Muslims got up and left. They stood there like I don't want to eat hummus with I don't care if Barack Hussein Obama says says yeah. Ramadan Mubarak and and and, and Assalamu alaikum and he has some halal. Uh, 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 lamb with some hummus and, and some and some gulab jamun. I don't care about that, right? Mm. But some of these Muslims are so happy and taking pictures and so happy mm. with Obama and and Obama uh, Obama uh, uh, was a zalim, straight mm. up zalim, right? Mm. But but he said assalamu alaikum and his middle name is Hussein, so the Muslims lost their minds. Mm. Yeah, they were they were so happy they had a Hussein in the White House, but they were still in the doghouse, Sheikh. The Muslims well, were still in the doghouse. Well, they had someone with the name Hussein in the yeah. White House, but they didn't have the courage like Hussein in dealing with that Hussein. Yeah. 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 No, subhanAllah. So now I think we need to get to like now the action plan and what's important as Muslims. And I see this with a lot of the youth. There's a lot of. SJW causes out there. There's a lot of different SJW organizations, a lot of different movements, a lot of different hashtags. How are we as Muslims now going to make a positive impact? Should we join some of these organizations? Is there limitations? Uh, should we carve our own path? What is the way forward for Muslims to be uh, the uh, Khalifa on this, uh, on this art? What should we do now moving forward? MashaAllah. So, and you, you mentioned about us being the 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 uh, Khalifa in the earth, uh, and I was going to say something. Well, first of all, I advise people to uh, buy my uh, book towards sacred activism because I give some guidelines in there. But you mentioned yes. the ayah of the Quran that talks about this about and Allah will make you the the the, the Khalifa in the earth. Um, but Allah says, Do not incline yourselves towards those who do wrong, least you will touch the fire. Right? Mm -hmm. And then Allah says, After that, and then we make you, we'll make you the vicegerents of the earth. But you have to incline away from these people, right? So, mm -hmm. one thing that we as Muslims, uh, we need to be strategic and work with certain people at certain times. But one of the dynamic things about Al-Andalus and when the Muslims uh, ruled that area of the Iberian Peninsula and actually helped the intellectual and cultural advancement of Jews and Christians in Europe is that Muslims respected the earth or the custom of the people there, but they were innovative. And I don't mean like bid'ah and religion per se, mm. but they brought forth new ideas and new nomenclature and new language Instead of just borrowing and copying everything of the Jews and Christians who were already there, who based who, who weren't living refined lives, right? So we mm -hmm. we have to bring forth and be innovative intellectually, but this takes confidence, right? That we use our own organizing strategies in our own language, and then we invite people who aren't Muslims in Canada or to America. Mm -hmm to our idea of how to make a better Canada or better America. And I, and one mm. thing that, that, that bothers me, I hear people say this saying, well, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, right? Mm. But number one, 
why don't we try to work on building our own table to invite people to? Yes. But but yeah. number two, sometimes going to that table, you're being fed food that has poison in it. Every yes. table is not meant to sit at. And, and you know, as Malcolm X said, Sheikh, just because you are sitting at that table doesn't mean you're a diner. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So the table doesn't mean you're a diner. It doesn't mean you're a diner because you just because you're sitting there doesn't mean you, you could be you're sitting there, but doesn't mean you're dining. You know, other people could be dining. Right. And or you might be dining, but they're feeding you pork. Yeah. Right. They're feeding you something that's yeah. not good for you. And then what are you going to sit back? Or a khamar. Or a khamar. <laughs> yeah, khamar or a khanzir or whatever they're going to yeah. feed you. Right. Yeah. But, but 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 best believe that the whole menu they're going to they're going to that's in front of you is not going to be halal and it's not going to be tayyib. You can believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we, yes. we have we have to we have to have more confidence. But this isn't something that can just simply be uh, fixed with organizing strategies. This is something that we have to work on our internal states um, because uh, we have to purge ourselves from a number of fears that we have and replace that fear we have for people for fear of Allah. Then we mm -hmm. can start having clearer thinking. But if we are wrapped up in fear, then we're not going to get to the place that we need to go to. And, and Allah Azawajal mentions in the Quran, because surely the patrons of Allah, those who Allah is with and Allah protects them, no fears upon them, nor shall they grieve, right? So if we are consumed by khawf mm -hmm. of, uh, of these people, then of course we're not going to have the the intellectual independence to start building our own table and invite people to a different socio-political platform or mm -hmm. ideas. At, at minimally, uh, we should not harm one another. I think that's probably the minimum thing. The minimum yes. thing is to not have an ob uh, an obstacle in the path, to remove an obstacle in the path. You know, yes. the lowest form of la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. So, uh, and we're struggling still to do with, uh, to, to, to overcome that. But I think that's only truly how we can progress with the hidayah that Allah SWT has given us. Because for sure, decades and centuries, for example, of injustice, of racial injustice has shown that you can't just do it with policy. No. As you, I think, I want to tie it back to what you said at the beginning, because I think that is the most powerful thing. It has to be, it has to start with your heart. You can have all the organizations, you can have all the amendments, you can have all the policies and all the laws in the book, but if that heart that's in that that's applying that uh, is not connected with its creator, it cannot be connected to justice, Sheikh. I don't think true. it can be connected. I don't think it can be connected to justice because the way look at how our Rasul Sallallahu Subhanallah the, the the way that he even applied the Hajj. Somebody came to our Rasul Sallallahu I'm deserving of the punishment. He said, wait, we're going to pray right now. And then they made wudu. They prayed after the salah. This man came back to Rasulullah making a confession. Rasulullah isn't going to him and finding the people who are committing these criminal acts. They're coming to Rasulullah and Rasulullah asked him, did you stay and you prayed with us? He said, yes. So you've been forgiven. Alhamdulillah. You know what I mean? The mercy, like, you know what I mean? Like you have the law in the book. And then the heart that applies it, what state is that heart in? That's right. And, yeah. and, I, and think, I think that's the biggest thing we need to overcome. Yeah, and, and, and also in that, we're talking about changing hearts and minds of other people. 
we really have to work on ourselves. And this goes back also why I talk about this so-called intersectionality and racial justice, that if we think that we're going to get justice for ourselves or our best situation by uh, promoting haram in the, in the process, then we're not going to get the dunyawi advancement they're looking for, and we're going to lose in the akhirah. And this is why Allah If Allah helps you, then uh, none can defeat you. But when we say, we are seeking Allah's help or assistance. You alone do we seek for help, is that we have to have proper adab with Allah. We go to Allah seeking his help, and this means that following his commandments and staying away from his prohibitions. But we can't expect to get help in our worldly affairs when we aren't truly surrendering to Allah as a command. And see, this is part of the problem in some of the woke activism and some of the Muslim SJWs that they think that they think that we're going to overcome racism and Islamophobia by promoting so-called um sex work, which is really prostitution. That's one of the new things in America. Like they people, you have so-called Muslim activists who are arguing in favor of legalizing prostitution under sex work. They say, well, you know, this is intersectional <laughs> because, you know, they, yeah, they're, they yeah. support us yeah. or, 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 you know, you know, we the yeah. support, we the support someone who says that they're a woman who's really a man using the woman's bathroom because we have to be intersectional because because LGBTQ support us in the in, in the Palestine march, right? So th this is just this is a misunderstanding of Dean. Mm. Fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. And I think they conflate two things, uh, Sheikh. They conflate morality and humanity. We yeah. give everybody humanity. Right. Absolutely. We give the fasik humanity, we give the sinner uh, humanity. But that is within our morality, and morality is also different. To things to say something that is moral good is not necessarily saying that we need to be humane with everybody. And there's a there's a conflation of those two things, unfortunately, that uh, that many people have. And Sheikh, we really appreciate you. This book, I, I recommend everyone uh, to to get it, to study it towards sacred activism. Jazakumullah Shaykh for your time. Oh, yeah. uh, it is, uh, you are uh, one of the, the few gems that we need to continuously con connect with. Uh, we need to uh, stand up for the haq. That's why this podcast is called Life Haq. Because that's how you're going to get the life hack is because if you are on the haq. So uh, we need to, to, to go to these sources to get the haq. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Shaykh, like there are conspiracy theories. And so at the end of the day, what if it comes out that uh, there is a conspiracy happening. So what? Will anything change except for the date? We knew that there was conspiracies to hold down uh, the the African-American populations. There can be conspiracies to hold down the, the Muslim population. But now how do we overcome that? Even if you identify, if you put it out in the open, this is a conspiracy. And the way that the Sheikh, I think, beautifully elucidated is that it is through turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is the hidayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. So we thank you once again, Sheikh, and we'd love to have you on the podcast again. Anytime, uh, we hope that you, that, that you and your family uh, are safe. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves you, keeps you steadfast Ameen. upon Asraf Ameen. al mustaqim that we, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protects your community Ameen. and that we are continually reunited upon the khair. So jazama khair for that. Yeah. And to uh, all our viewers, uh, we will see you on Thursday evening for our next episode of the podcast. So remember, 
We live by the huck. We die by the huck. Just when you think life is stuck, tune in to life huck. Zamakhir. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.